0: You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebannerchurch.com. Awesome. Man, it's a good morning. Yeah, It's just wild. The worship team has been here way too long, and they're just wild in this whole service. But uh, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, hey, really, really, really want to encourage you if you're trying to get connected uh, to being a small group. We have some amazing small groups, but... I. Uh, Some of them are even filling up this morning, like I was looking at my list like, well, I'm going to probably close it after today, so you got decisions to make, Um, but we have some incredible groups, Gillian is doing an amazing job putting together, I think 11 groups we have, it's awesome, so we're about life transformation, you grow better in circles than in rows, so get in a circle, Get with some people, grow, see your life transformed and change. It's going to be great. Uh, but I'm excited that you're here if I haven't met you yet. Uh, my name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here, and um, I married this person who's so far out of my league. It's insane. Uh, this beautiful, Katie. She's so good looking. You know, people think I stole her. Um, grocery cr- clerks will put down the divider between our groceries because uh, they don't think we're together. Um, but what well, we are, I got in early. Um and uh, high school me was a much better catch. No, Um, but I'm excited uh, that you're here this morning. We're in our new series through Luke 15 called Pursuit, and I'm very excited. Uh, I feel like the Lord has really impressed on my heart a certain word to share with you, so I hope that you're ready this morning. Two services, really cool to see. Um, It's exciting to look around and see so many faces, so if you're new or newer here, I would just love to meet you and and, and, uh, just introduce myself. You've been here for a couple weeks, and you're kind of warming up to me, I would love to just say hey um, and connect with you in the back in the connect corner. But um, I, I want to share with you out of Luke 15 today. Uh, if you write your Bible, you can even start opening up to that now. But I'm going to ask a question while you do that, and it's this. Um, in your life, uh, do you remember the last time that you got really lost? I, I don't mean like my phone died on the way to your house, so I don't have Google Maps. I don't mean lost. I mean lost, lost, like lost, 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 like Sorry, guys. We're gonna have to live here now. Lost, right? Like, I guess we live in Nevada now, um, and you'll never see the ocean. <laughs> like that—that that kind of loss. Have you ever been that lost um, to the point where you're like, I just have no idea where I am. I have no idea where I'm going. Some of you are nudging your spouse, and they're giving you a look. And you know what? We'll do an altar call call for that later, and you'll uh, you'll be covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, but, <laughs> but I uh, I've gotten lost before in my life. Um, Sometimes I like, I, I'm very confident sometimes, and that didn't sound very confident at all, um, but that's why it's sometimes. <laughs> and so when I was younger, I was very confident, and I like to lead people, and so I was with my two friends, and we would go snowboarding, and I was uh, 13, and we'd go up, and we'd go into the mountains, and where I snowboarded, you, it was in a pass, and you'd go up the hill on the lifts, and you could go all the way top to the top of the mountain. Um, hill kind of area, because uh, you're already in the mountains, you go all the way up, and then you could go over the other side in what was called the backside, and that was like the cool thing, where you're just like, we're going to leave all you nerds and go to the backside, and we would go over there, and there was one lift that brought you out, and it was treacherous, but we liked to go out of bounds, because we thought it was cool, and we didn't understand consequences, um, <laughs> And so we went way out of bounds, and we were just snowboarding, snowboarding, and going and going. And you know when you realize, like, I've made a terrible decision. <laughs> like, this is way. T- we just realized, oh my gosh, I have no idea where we are. And the crazy thing to me about being in the woods is, you're like, I know where I am. I know where I am. I'm so lost. Like, there's no middle ground. It's not like you're gradually like, oh, this isn't starting to look familiar. It's like, yeah, I know, I got this. We're on the trail and we're probably gonna die here. There's like an immediate emotional leap. And especially when there's snow, because everything looks the same. It's just all whitewashed and it's just nothingness and, you know, just trees. All the trees look the same. You can't see very far. And so we're going and I'm like, guys, we are in serious trouble. And so I turn around and I face up the mountain and I'm like, "Well, we're not going that way because it's a mountain and it's snow." <laughs> I thought that was obvious. But I was like, "We have to go somewhere and if we keep going down, I I know there's nothing else down there. Like there's just more Washington, right? <laughs> and and we're not going to find anything. And so we have an option. We could either build a new life here, but I didn't like them enough to do that. Um, it's just all dudes. And, uh, or we can dig our way out and try to get back to the ski lift. So looking up the mountain, we decide, okay, we're just going to go this way and just go perpendicular to the way we've been going, and we're going to find something, which sounds like a great plan until you realize the reason I've been moving so well is not these bulky clothes I've been wearing. It's this board on my feet, and as soon as you take that board off, you go right down in the snow because this isn't some like packed down bunny hill jam. This is like out there in the woods stuff. So like where the trees, it's you know, it's down into the trees. And so if you get in the wrong spot, you kind of like slide down in. You got to dig your way back out. And so we start on this journey of being so far out of bounds. And we just start like digging and crawling. And you know, sometimes you're so tired of being hip deep in snow that you kind of like pop yourself up. And then like roll yourself to try to like stay on top and just keep wide and you're wearing all these jackets. You're like, why did I spend $200 on a jacket? I'm just going to lose it. I just hate it. And you're frustrated, right? And so we're in this mode. I'm angry. Um, I may or may not have been using some bad words. I may or may not have definitely been crying. Um, kind of, a, all of all of these emotions were happening at, at one time. And at some point, I realized in this moment, we have a problem. Because though in Seattle you don't often see the sun, you are aware of light and dark because you can see. And I knew for a fact that when it gets dark, the backside ski lift shuts down. And so as I realized that, I realized it's pretty dark. And so we start going extra hard and, like, trying to get through the snow and digging and digging out with our boards and climbing, and we get maybe, like, from here to that door. And we're just going and going, and I'm exhausted. I'm yelling at these two guys that were with me, just hollering. i like, come on, man, look, let's go. Let's keep going. Like, I don't want to go. I'm like, you're going to go. We're going to be. And we're just yelling at each other, as you would expect three 13-year-old boys in the middle of the woods to do, just blaming each other, just <laughs> You know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and so we're going and going and going. And honestly, at one point, it just turns from like, ha, ha, yeah, we're going to die out here to, ha, oh, we're going to die out here. Because, like, immediately it's, like, not funny anymore. You know that moment? And there's the one kid who always keeps joking. You're like, dude, seriously, stop joking. We actually might die out here. And, and we're going, and, and I, I can just feel this tension and this hopelessness of, like, every time we get over a ridge, there's just nothing. And then we get over another ridge, and there's nothing. And so we get to this one point, and I remember hearing someone yell, which is great, because the only people I've heard yell so far are these two crazy Russian kids I was with. And I didn't understand what they were saying anyways. And at one moment, I hear like, what are you doing? And I was like, what is that? And I'm like, what is, you know, I'm far away. And someone yells, what, you know, I'll, I'll abbreviate, what are you doing? <laughs> and, and we're going this way. And I look up. And here's this dude standing just on this ridge up here. And I'm like, what the heck? He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, we're trying to, he's like, the lift is right here. So let me tell you what has occurred. We, we had come up over a rise here in Out of Bounds, and we had realized we're lost. And we had turned and gone, we can't go this way. we got to go this way. And so we had worked our way this way for like an hour only to realize that 25 feet up there was the ski lift, and if we had gone 15 feet this way, or 25 feet, we would have been like, oh yes, of course, there's a ski lift just right over this ridge, so we were on the other side of the hill, and so we come like crawling up, he's like, what do you guys do, we've been watching you out there for like an hour, like, we were gonna die, man, <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's right here. So we come, and we're just, like, embracing it. And just all those feelings of just hopelessness, all the anger that I felt towards them is now, like, a cool memory. But in the moment, it was like, we're never going to friends again I hate you and but in this moment we're like embracing and we're so excited and we're celebrating and we're coming in I'm like embracing the ski lift everything's perfect everything's good because there's just that moment of going from hopelessness to fulfillment and to life and I know that that's joking and I know I'm being in jest but I think that that's such a snapshot of my life and I'm probably not the only one There's kind of this poetic moment that describes how often in my life, as a person, there was a time in my life where I had made decisions that had taken me so far out of bounds that I felt hopeless, and I couldn't see where I needed to go, and so in life, I did only what I could, is I just put my, my head down, and I just worked, and I was grinding, and I was working hard, and I was trying to prove myself. Anyone ever been here? And I was, sometimes there was joy because I get to the ridge and then I get over and there was nothing there, nothing that I needed. There was not hope that I wanted. There was not, there was not the answer that I needed. So then there would be the yelling at my friends and the crying and the anger and the feeling lost and abandoned. And I knew that there were people who loved me. I knew that I had people on the other side, but I was so far out of bounds that I felt hopeless And I think we get there sometimes as people is that we come over every ridge looking for hope. But what you really need is someone to call to you and say, hey, it's right up here. See, you've been trying to go this way and make this work. And that's fine. You can keep going. But you're not going to find it. You're going to find it up here. And so for some of you this morning, I feel like God has sent me to be like that person who at the ski lift who was calling out, hey, it's right up here. And I, I feel like God has Send me here, and I feel like God has brought you here to tell you something this morning, and it's this, is that no one is too lost for the love of Jesus. That, I, I believe that God has called you here this morning to do a miracle in your life because you've been accepted a lie, but he wants to speak you with truth and call down to you in your struggle and say, listen, no one is too lost for the love of Jesus. Jesus has so desperately pursued you. And he wants to bring you out of the misery of sin into the freedom of love. See, you weren't built to be hurt. You were built to be loved. You were built to be free. You were created to be free, not to be addicted. You were created to be empowered not to be beaten down, you were created to be cherished, not to be abused, you were created to be joyful, not depressed, and so the joy of Jesus Christ is rescuing his children from the toil of misery and bringing them into the joy of salvation, and so this morning when we're looking at Luke 15, hear me say, no one is too lost for the love of Jesus, and if you brought your Bible, go ahead and crack that open to Luke 15, if not, it's going to be on the screen, and we're just going to be right there, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read it for you this morning. If you're with me, say amen. 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 1045, y'all are awake. (laughs) Someone listening to the podcast is like, it's not 1045. Well, you're awake at 452. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, look at this, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I want to break this down for you. See... A crowd is following Jesus, and just before in Luke uh, 14, what we see is Jesus explains the cost of discipleship. He says, this is what it costs to follow me. Like, all these people are crowding. He's like, this is what it means to follow me. And so what has happened in this moment is all of the tax collectors and sinners pressed in in response to that, and all the religious people are like, whoa, hold up, and they backed out. And so what's happening is the tax collectors and the sinners are drawing nearer to God, and you're like, wait, why? I, you know, you're probably thinking, like, I haven't been to church, but I thought y'all thought everyone were sinners. And that's true. But it's like, why single out tax collectors? Doesn't that seem a little odd? It's like, it'd just, it just be like, oh, yeah, real estate agents and sinners. You'd be like, I feel a little to Jesus. Like, you know, like, this feels a little personal. But, no, he's mentioning tax collectors very specifically here because they were a very specific group of people. See, the Jewish people were being occupied by the Roman Empire. And historically, they had fought against the Roman Empire. They hated the Roman Empire. They had good reasons to hate the Roman Empire. Crucifixion didn't just get invented for Jesus, if you're following me. Like, they had reasons to not be stoked on the Romans. And so the tax collectors were Jewish people that would buy an employment from the Roman Empire. And that employment was going to businesses and other Jewish people and collecting taxes. And how the tax collectors made their money was by whatever was beyond the taxes that the romans required following me so you decided your own rate and extorted your own people for an occupying power and if you know anything about history siding with an occupying power is not favorable amongst your crew so these people what he's saying is really specifically they were outcasts to everybody like their own mom didn't like them like that's that's these people you ever felt like that you're amongst company And so the Pharisees are grumbling and they're complaining and they're saying, this man, meaning Jesus, receives sinners and eats with them. And here's their issue. Jesus was supposed to be a good Jewish boy. He was supposed to be a good rabbi. He was supposed to be clean and walk the path and do the thing. And so now this this guy that they saw in authority was eating with unclean people. And you're like, that's kind of mean. Like, well... In Jewish tradition, especially following the Old Testament tradition that they had, it was all about cleanliness. So, what you could eat, what you could wear, a lot of these are still upheld. You can go see it, and 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 what you could, when you could wash, when to not wash, when to eat, when to not eat. It was all part of um, this idea of being clean, and so it. They were applying this idea of clean and unclean to these people, and. If you were a leader or a rabbi or a Pharisee, you know, religious leader at the time, you would avoid contact a lot of the time with unclean people. Because if you got unclean, guess what? Then you had to go to the thing where you wash and do the thing and do the prayer and do all this process, right? So it's better to just avoid these people. And yet here is Jesus breaking the mold because the people who are drawing near to him are who? The unclean and the outcasts and the unwanted and the unloved. And so here all of a sudden, this group of people is gathering around Jesus, and the Pharisees are so confused because they always are, even today. And they're like, wait, why are you with these people? They're so unclean. They're so unwanted. And so Jesus tells this parable, and it's a simple parable. And Jesus is so good at teaching, and this is one of the ways that he teaches. So if you, if you have your Bible and you see that verse that starts on verse 4, he begins to teach, and he kind of shifts. And so he's looking, remember, he's looking to the Pharisees. This is who he's talking to. He's surrounded by the unclean people, the people that he's with, that he loves, and he's speaking to the religious-spirited people. And he tells this story. He says, what man of you, he's starting it off with a question that's kind of like everyone's included is the response, right? So that'd be my, like, that'd be me saying, like, we all know this. Like, that'd be like me saying, like, who of you, if you were in a desert about to die without drinking water and found water, would drink it? We'd be like, yes, all of us. It's meant to invoke this attitude where he says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So at the end of the day, shepherds, and especially in this culture, there was a pastoral culture, now you understand where we get the word, they, they would count their sheep at the end of the day, right? And so they would count up who's in the pen, and this person in the, exam, in the story, in the parable, has a hundred sheep, they're decently wealthy, and they count them up and realize one's missing. And so if you were a shepherd and you were counting up 100 sheep and you realize one of your sheep were missing, what would you do? What would you do? Yeah, you go find it. Why? Someone tell me why. Just shout it out. Because it won't survive. Yes. Because somebody say, "Cause death." <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like that. <laughs> that's my favorite one. Um, yes, and you're totally right. Cause death. Death is why. Because, like, everyone here has seen a sheep, right? Like, no one's new to sheep. You're like, sheep? i got to Google this. Right? Like, we all know what a sheep looks like. And it's like, if we just took a sheep and put it next to a bear and we're like, fight! Like, (laughs) not going to last long. (laughs) Like, three seconds, right? Like, you go after the sheep. Why? Because the sheep need a shepherd. Sheep don't do well on their own. Sheep think they do fine on their own, but they do not do well on their own. Right, like, sheep have their head down, they eat their food, they do their thing. But, like, the shepherd knows, like, all right, and away from the cliff, right? Like, sheep don't do well without a shepherd. And so it's not meant to say that, that, that the sheep are dumb. He's just saying the sheep need a shepherd. And so they're laying this understanding here that's clear is that the sheep is in danger when it's separated from the flock of being hurt, killed, whatever, but it doesn't lack the ability to save itself from this. It doesn't lack the, it, or doesn't have, sorry, the ability to save itself from this. And so the shepherd leaves the 99 uh, in the open country, and he goes and he seeks out the one. And he searches high and low, searches in dangerous places, searches in the places the sheep might want to go, and finally finds the sheep. And I love that the response is that he doesn't, like, find the sheep and, like, break off a switch and just go to town on the sheep so angry and so bitter that it made him miss dinner and be out here trying to find the sheep. What does it say? It says that he lifts it on his shoulders rejoicing. And then what does it say he does? I love this part. Verse 6. And then he comes home. He calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that is lost. So he doesn't even go, he's not even talking to the field. He goes to his house, and what does he do? He throws a sheep party. I know, like, we read things, and we're like, yeah, that's nice. But think about this. Here comes uh, Rick, your neighbor. He's got a sheep, and he's like, hey, I found my sheep. And you're like, yeah, I mean, what's up? like, oh, I guess it's time to party. <laughs> it's just like sheep block party. They start losing them on purpose. <laughs> but this is what happens. It's not like he comes home and he's like, dumb sheep, get to the back of the pen. Like until you prove that you're a good sheep, then you can come up with me. He's like, let's throw a party. Let's get some people together. Let's get wild. Let's get some music. Let's celebrate because my sheep that was lost is found now, right? Why? Right? I don't think that's unusual to ask why throw a sheep party. I mean, I don't raise sheep, but I think, and the answer is because he loves it, because he cares, because it was lost, and now it's found, and there's something precious about that. And so in verse 7, Luke 15, 7, he says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Now, he's not saying That some people need to repent and some don't. That some people are perfect and some are. That's not what he's saying. He's looking at religious people and saying, I know that you think you're perfect. I know that you think you have it all figured out. And so you have a hard time receiving me and who I came to be with. And I know that you look at these people and you say, you are unclean. You are unwanted. But I came for them. I came for you. These are the ones I came to be with. And in fact, when I find them, I throw a party. I don't just kick them to the back of the pen. I don't hope that they earn it. I celebrate. I get my friends together. We throw a party. We celebrate because what was lost is now found. See, when Christ finds a sheep, he doesn't get angry at it. He throws a party for you. You're like, I, don't know. I didn't know that about God. Yeah, well, I'm going to read you the Bible and tell you about this one because I love God. And I love Jesus. And if you know my God, then you know the God of parties. The God who celebrates. You know the God that in Luke 19.10 said, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. See, Jesus is trying to teach us something right now, church. And he's trying to teach you something if you just walked in here. And it's special because if you can get a hold of it, it's going to do a miracle in your life. And the very first thing as he shows us this image of the sheep that he's trying to show us is that we've all gone astray. Everyone. See, there's an old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You heard that? I'm going to give you another one that we're going to put into the canon. Are you ready? If it's broke, stop pretending like it ain't. See, you and I are the sheep. If you didn't get the metaphor, it's cool. At church, we talk a lot about sheep. I know it's important to you. Um, But we are the sheep, and sheep are not great at noticing that they're lost until they are under threat. See, a sheep doesn't realize it's lost when it's eating the grass, walking away from the pen. It notices it's lost when it gets to a cliff. It notices it's lost when it gets to a wolf or a bear. It notices it's lost when it's hurt and it cries out and it feels alone. Man, I'm just so identifiably a sheep because I didn't know I was lost till I came face to face with my loneliness and my bitterness and my shame. Then I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so lost. Because when I was just eating, I was happy. And then when I got to... The wolf that came to take my life and steal my joy and lock me into anger and addiction and bitterness. Then I was like, wow, I'm lost. I'm lost. And the and the thing that's being taught here to to everybody, church a million times, church one time, church no times, doesn't matter. All have sin. Romans tells us that. 323, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That, That we all have sin. We've all missed the mark. None of us is perfect. We've all put ourselves as the God of ourselves. We've all rested us on the throne of our life. And, you know, where more than often than not, where that has taken us is so out of bounds that we feel hopeless, so overwhelmed that we feel trapped. And like the lost sheep, we're so in danger when we are isolated and we are separated, and yet we lack the ability to do anything about it. But what I think is more important than us being sheep in this is, is not it's not us being the sheep, it's Jesus being the shepherd. And I love Isaiah 53, uh, 5 through 6. The words will be on the screen. It says this is the prophecy about Jesus Christ. When it says he, it means Jesus. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him. See, but the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity, our price, our debt, the weight of our sin, the iniquity of all of us. But this is so important. I know we've all gone astray, but hear me. No one is too lost for the love of Jesus. This is what he's teaching us here. It's like, yeah, you might feel like a lost sheep, but no one's too lost for the love of Jesus. See, the shepherd leaves his flock and he seeks out the lost sheep. Why? Because he loves it. Because he cares for it. The shepherd will face the possibility of death, the possibility of harm. They'll go through the darkness and they'll climb the highest cliffs and they'll overcome obstacles because of love. Because they care. Because they care for the sheep. John 10, 10 through 11 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, the thief comes only to destroy your life. There's an enemy that wants you destroyed, that wants you out of bounds, that wants you alone, that wants you isolated in sin and shame. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, sin came to destroy your life. That's the goal of the enemy. He seeks to destroy your life. But Jesus laid down his life to save you. He laid down his life. You and I, did you know you were created to live in relationship with God? You were created to live in communion with him. You weren't created to live in in brokenness and addiction and shame and and doubting your self-worth. You were created to live in unity with God. But sin comes in and creates a separation. It creates a barrier because it brings in shame. It puts us on the throne of our life as if we are God. It brings in pride. It traps us in anger and selfishness. God wants to dwell with us for eternity and have us walk in freedom. But if we are the God of our life, it doesn't work. So Jesus stepped down into time into the earth and became a little baby and suffered and walked and was sinless and blameless and and pure in his heart and so he went to the cross as fully god fully man and he went to the cross and was crucified to take your sin and my sin and my guilt and my shame and they buried him in the ground and the enemy who comes to seek to uh, to kill and destroy It's just laughing that he's won, that he's victorious. But the enemy did not know that Jesus was going to rise again and come in victory and life and freedom. See, because no one is too lost for the love of Jesus. He endured scorn. He endured suffering. He endured death. Why? So you'd have something else to do on Sunday? No. Because there is freedom and power in a new life of Jesus Christ. That's why he came. And I know you're thinking, hey, man, it's my first time to church. I think that's kind of just for the people with the shirts. And I agree. The shirts are dope. But (laughs) this is for everybody. No one, hear me, no one is too lost for the love of Jesus. No one is separated. No one is too distant. Nothing on this earth can overcome it. My wife read Romans 8. and I I love this verse she read, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no one too lost for the love of Jesus. He has pursued you. He has died for you. He has risen to bring you into his resurrection, to invite you into the freedom that comes from him. You are not forgotten. You are not forsaken. You are not lost. You are found through him. I, uh, I love taking my daughter to the park. It's fun. And when I started taking my daughter to the park, I noticed a lot of people on their cell phones. And so I said, okay, I'm going to be that dad. I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm just going to be watching my kid. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be on my phone. I'm not going to be on my phone. So I'm looking at my phone, and uh, I realize my daughter's not there anymore. And I panic, but parents feel me on this. You have to panic at a level that doesn't alert the other parents that you kind of drop the ball, (laughs) right? Like, you don't want to make it so chill that if the kid is in trouble, they're like, man, he didn't even seem worried at all. But, like, not so scared that you scare everyone else. And you got to keep them close because they're like your people and they're vigilant. And so, like, pretty soon you might need them, but you don't want to freak them out too soon because then you can't come back to this park again. And... (laughs) And so I'm, like, looking all over for my kid, and it starts off like, ah, she's fine. She's fine on the slide, ha <laughs> And then it's like, I've checked the slides, and she's not in any of them, and it kind of gets into panic. And so you start like, hey, uh, Lucy, hey, hey, it's De- it's Papa, hey, ha-ha. <laughs> and then you, like, you got to go lower, like, <clears throat> Lucy, <clears throat> Lucy. But I can't go high enough to alert because, like, I'm, I look like this, and I'm at a park. And so mom's are like, no, oh, it's fine, honey. We'll play later. Well, I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> and I'm like, Luc- Lucy. Then I get into the like half name. Lucy, mate. Lucy, mate. Ha, ha, I'm like still trying to keep it light. But then like you laugh weird, and it's really weird. I'm like, ha, ha. Oh, Lucy. Love you so much. This is so fun. Having a great time at the park. Don't tell mom. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, Lucy. And so I find her. And here's what's happened. There's this rock structure, climbing rock thing. And she has climbed up it because I love her and she's amazing like that. But she's stuck because she can't get all the way down. And I feel that. And so I come around to the other side of the rock. And what I spy is just her like. <laughs> she's locked in. <laughs> but I don't know if she can't hear me or she's just so locked into this like rock climbing-esque element. She doesn't know what to do. And so I'm like, ah. And, but honestly, by this point, I had crossed the line between, like, concerned parent to somebody's taking my kid. Like, I got to find him. Like, I'm, like, fully amnesian at this point in my, in my moment. And so when I find her, I'm not angry. I'm not mad at her. I'm not disappointed. I just, like, hug her with all of the hugs that you can hug, right? She's like, ah, and I'm like, ah, I love you. And she's just so confused, has no idea what's happening. But I just embrace her, and I love her because there was a moment that I thought she was lost. And even just for that moment, I only know the moment, not the, you know, not, not, not eons, but just this moment that I thought she was lost was the longest moment uh, in, in my life, it seems. And so when I find her, I just hug her and embrace her. Can I tell you, that's the heart of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of Jesus. The joy of the Lord is rescuing his children. Look at verse 6. It says, when he comes home, he calls his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that is lost. Rejoice with me. Hear me. When Jesus sees you, he does not see a disappointment. When Jesus sees you, he's not shaking his head like, oh, great. Oh, cool. Here he is. Here, I found him. Like He's not looking down at you like some angry person. I know some of you in your life, you did not have an example of someone loving you unconditionally. So let me explain it to you because that will change your life. Is that Jesus' opinion of you and your value to him is not conditional on what you've done, on who you are, on where you've been, on what you've said, on what you're ashamed of. It's unconditional love. There are no conditions. If it's hard for you to grasp, that's okay. Sometimes it's hard for me to grasp. I still think I have to prove myself to an angry God. But he's not angry. He's not mad. He loves you. He embraces you. He welcomes you in because the joy of the Lord is rescuing his children. It says he rejoices. It says there's joy. It doesn't say you're in the back of the pen. Now you got to prove yourself. Now you got to prove that you're worth it. Yeah, you know, really show that you're worth dying for, man. You know, I died for you, right? Like, that's not Jesus. Jesus cuts, gets down like a child, like with a kid, and just embraces and loves and cares and, and welcomes. It says, I love you. I've been looking for you. I heard this story and it just really hit me, and I want to share with you because I think it. Shows the heart of Christ is a story about an earthquake. Uh, There was an earthquake in uh, 1988 in the northwestern section of Armenia, and it killed 25,000 people. Really devastating tragedy. And in one uh, small town just after the earthquake, a father rushed to his son's school to see it completely in rubble and completely in ruin. But without missing a second, he ran to the spot where he saw the class, where it used to be, and he thought, I promised my son, no matter what, I'll be there when you need me. So what did he do? He goes to this spot. The classroom was somewhere here, and he climbs up onto the rubble, and he begins to just tear away at the rubble and tear away at the rocks. And all around him are people just wailing for for these lost kids, and they're just wailing for this moment and crying, and mothers and fathers are crying out, but not him. He goes up, and he's like, I told my son that if he needed me, I would be there. And so he goes to the spot and he's rock by rock, and people are coming up and they're like, Man, you have to stop. You have to stop. They're lost. Let them go. Let them go. And he says, No, I made a promise to my son that. If he needed me, I would be there. So I'm just going to keep digging. And everyone's watching because it's a lost cause. And this just sad man on this rock pile hunting for his kid is just another sad tragedy in an already tragic world. And so they're just watching him. And he works for eight hours pulling rocks away and nothing. And they're like, man, you got to stop. This is crazy. This is why are you doing this? You're hurting yourself. You're hurting yourself. You need to stop. And he says, no. And he, so he just keeps digging. And he's on the pile in 16 hours and 24 hours and 36 hours. He's pulling rocks away and pulling pieces. And with all his might, lifting rubble and digging and scratching and bleeding and crawling. And at the 38th hour, he hears something. And he calls out this father into the hole. And he says, I'm waits and he hears back dad it's me our bond and he goes and all the people gather around and they begin to pull at the spot and all the parents that have been wailing and moaning come around and they're digging and they're pulling and they're opening up this this kind of cavity that had formed in this moment and pulling the pieces and digging out and reaching in and pulling these kids out and he reaches in and he pulls his son out and embraces him And he says, I promised you that if you ever needed me, I would be there. And his son says, I know. I told them that you promised me that if I needed you, you would be there for me. And I said, I'm going to be saved. And my dad's going to come for me. And if he comes for me, he's going to come for you. And if you're with me, you will be saved. And they embraced each other. And they asked that father afterwards, how did you dig for 36 hours? And he said, I made a promise to my son, my baby, that if he needed me, I would be there for him. Hear me. That is the love of Jesus. No one is too lost for the love of Jesus. No one is buried under too much rubble for the love of Jesus. The weight of the world might have crashed onto you from tragedy. The weight of it might have crumbled around you, but no one is too lost. See, the God I serve is in the rescuing business. The God I serve is in the digging up rubble and finding bodies business. He is the God who digs through the weight of life that has crashed upon you, and he rescues, and he saves because he's He says I made him a promise and I'm the kind of father that keeps his promises I will never leave you or forsake you I will never abandon you or leave you behind and so like that father Jesus reaches into our life And he pulls us out to embrace us, not to scold us, not to hate us, not to say, well, now you have to do this to earn my love. He just embraces us. The embrace of a father who has dug his son or daughter out of the tragedy of life is not anger. It is the deepest, compassionate love that could ever be made. And hear me this morning. Jesus is calling you and bringing you out of darkness and into joy this morning. The way to sin, maybe you feel that this morning, like it fell on you in your life. And you're under there. Maybe you believed at one point, hour eight, you believed someone was coming for you. But they have not come or you have not seen them. But this morning, I believe you're here. And I believe, like that son, Jesus is calling to you in that moment. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And a lot of you might have heard that, but I want to read you 17. says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. I'm going to invite the band up this morning. Some of you came here not not sure what to expect. Maybe your friend invited you this morning. It's your first time or first couple times in a church, and, and you're like, I didn't know what to expect, but I really believe that Jesus brought you here to hear this, that no one is too lost for the love of Jesus. That just like the shepherd who seeks after the sheep and goes into the dark places and finds them and comes out rejoicing, Jesus is here for you. Just like the father who digs through the rubble, who goes through the pain of tragedy, who digs through those pieces, who, who comes to them and, and opens it up for his child and welcomes him into his arms, Jesus is here for you. See, that's the truth of the gospel. Verse 7, Luke fifteen seven. This is how Jesus ends it. He says to the religious people, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I'm going to share a word with you that's going to free you today. And it's not the most popular word, word but it's going to help. It's repentance. This is great. This is the beautiful exchange. Is God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that through him, we might become the righteousness of God. That we might receive the covering see I, I i'm a sinner as much as anyone else was separated from god by my sin was racked and entrapped and, and and chained by my shame and yet god who was rich in mercy sent his son to die for me and though i was under the weight of the rubble that i could not move and that i could not lift off and that i could not raise jesus came to lift it off and to lift me up. And he didn't shame me. If a religious person or a religious spirit has shamed you, then I I just say, would you just forgive and move into the freedom this morning? Because that's not the intent. But he didn't come to shame you. He came to release you into the freedom that comes from him, to take that off, to see the light, to see the daylight, to see the freedom, to step out into it, to be embraced by your Father. That's why Christ came to have a relationship with you. And so what he means here in this moment to repent means, God, I'm going to take myself off the throne of my life because when I'm God of myself, I lead me way out of bounds. I lead buildings on top of myself. I I, I lead myself out into the wilderness. But Jesus, I, I want to walk with you. So I don't have every answer. I don't have it all figured out in life this morning. You're thinking, I I don't know everything that needs to be known. I've never even been in a small group. I don't even own a Bible. That's not what Jesus is here for. Jesus is not here to give you a new set of rules. He's here to give you a new life and bring you into freedom this morning. And to say, if you would say, Lord, I repent of all my sin and shame, and and I lay it down at your feet. I give it to you. I I." I take myself off the throne, and I place you upon it in my life, and I choose to follow you today. Maybe some of you, I choose again to follow you today. And I'll tell you what, God will not shame you. He will not turn you away. He will not kick you to the back of the pen. He will put you over his shoulders, and he will bring you into the heavenly realm. And all the angels in heaven this morning, when you make that decision, you know what they're going to do? They're going to throw a party for you, and they're going to celebrate. And they're not celebrating your perfection. They're celebrating your direction, that you're walking with Christ, and they're walking with him in the freedom, and they want to celebrate. So this morning, I'm going to encourage you to make a choice in just a moment. that if you want freedom, and you want new life, and the freedom and the power that comes through a new life in Christ, then this is your morning to lay down your heart and choose to follow Him. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you close your eyes? Bow your heads with me. I just want your heart to be focused this morning. Because some of you, you need to make a decision this morning. You You cannot anticipate what happens when you walk out these walls. You were not promised another breath or another day. You were certainly not promised another Sunday. You can do what you can do right now. And the decision right now is... If I choose right now to follow Christ, not only do I receive the freedom of my life today, but also I know I have eternal life. And if you are unsure of your eternity, then you cannot wait another minute, another second without giving your life to Jesus. I know that we like to drag it on forever till you feel okay. Listen, it might feel crazy at first, because it is crazy that someone could love you unconditionally. But with your eyes closed and your head bowed. You got a choice to make this morning. Will I receive the freedom that comes from Jesus Christ? Will I allow him to lift me up out of the hole in the pit of my sin and shame and be embraced in the love of not only now, but eternity? Or will I go my own way into the out of bounds? You have a choice to make this morning, and I believe that if you make the choice to follow him with your life, we celebrate with you, all of heaven celebrates with you, and we rejoice because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit celebrate with you. You'll be transformed by new life. That's you this morning, and you're saying, First, I've never made that choice to follow Jesus with my life, and I want to come about under that weight not your fault that that fell on you that is the earthquake of the tragedy of a broken world that's not your fault you've had things happen to you that you are under and you need freedom you need a savior and this morning if you're saying Jesus I, I just need to follow you I want to give my life to you some of you, you've made that decision before, but you have wandered far. And this morning as well, you're going to make that choice. Say, Jesus, I'm, I'm making another choice to repent. And I'm going to say, just to stand before you, I, I'm following you today, Jesus. So this morning, with every eye closed and every head bowed in this place, if you're saying, Jesus, I want to choose to follow you for the first time or again, This is between you and him, a symbolic gesture this morning. I just want you to lift your hand this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can put it down once you lift it up. That was for you and him. I want to pray with you this morning. And I'm going to invite us as a church. I know y'all have your heads bowed, so... You didn't see people raise their hand, but I did. And we celebrate that together. But I want us to pray together a, a prayer and just repeat after me. And again, these aren't like magical words, but you're setting your heart and your intent upon him and you're beginning that journey. So I want you to repeat after me this morning. Everyone in the church, those who raise their hands or those who just want to agree and celebrate. And let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for dying for me and rising again to bring me life. I lay down my heart, all my sin and shame, I place it at your feet, and I choose today to follow you. Thank you, Jesus. Everyone said amen.